0: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host Anthony Pegnata, with you guys as always. And today we are here to bring you a an action-packed edition of the podcast. Uh, we got Josh Marlowe who will uh, kick it off with us here. We'll be talking about the guys that are in the transfer portal. Five guys that have entered since the second window opened. We'll talk to Ian Cummings of Pro Football Network about the guys that are attempting to get drafted in the NFL draft over the next three days starting tomorrow. And then we will wrap it up. Uh, I'll tell you and go a little in-depth on the Tar Heels' commitment in the 2024 class, their most recent one out of the state of Florida in three-star defensive lineman Peter pasansky But let's start by talking about uh, the transfers that are in the portal from Carolina, and there are five guys. Once again, uh, the defensive side of the ball is the focal point. All five of the guys on the defense or, or uh, in the portal are from The defensive side of the football and at this point it feels like there are some people that are starting to get worried about the fact that it is all coming from the defensive side of the ball the good news is is that it really only involves two younger guys and two guys that seem to be buried on the depth chart but uh, you know as I welcome in uh, Josh Marlowe here the normal regular co-host here on the podcast well, how do you how do you feel about this, man? I mean, we 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 kind of talked, you know, after everything happened the first time, and I feel like you know once you kind of looked at the names that were in there, it made a lot of sense. This time around, does it does it feel kind of the same, or is it starting to worry you just the sheer volume of guys? Well, I, mean.
2: I, I think what this shows is just why so many coaches have a problem with the portal, right? Because you have the
0: Oh, we know Mac Brown does. You yes. have like
2: the, the you know when the season when your season comes to an end, you see the the you know the first rush of guys to transfer. Mm-hmm. But that's not it. Like you go through spring ball and then you you go through it literally again, it's not usually the same volume, but five guys feels like a lot. And maybe in hindsight Well, I mean,
0: it's nothing compared to the 18 at Colorado, but right? it's still a lot.
2: It's st- it's so, definitely. You know, like th- the thing is is that Depending on how our staff attacks the attacks the portal itself, maybe you upgrade your roster. You find some guys that could help you more than what you have right now. But losing a guy like Jaquarius Conley just from a talent perspective, from a leadership perspective, um, does hurt because we've looked at him and said he's a guy that you think can be a dynamic playmaker in your secondary. Yep. Which you need. That's what separates the good defenses from the great. And so you know, some of the other guys, it's it's not as damning seeing them them leave, but this is the new normal. And unlike in college basketball, where you just have really the one wave, in college football, you go through your end of your season, you feel like you're okay, you finish out your recruiting class, then you go through spring ball, and you go through it again. And now the staff is is uh, is tasked with finding answers uh, to 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 replace the guys that they've just seen exit the program since the spring game came to an end.
0: Well, and the concerning thing is in in the defensive backfield. Again, that's the position group that was hit the hardest the first time around, and it's the position group that's being hit the hardest again this time around. Four guys departed and left in the transfer portal uh, the first time around, and one of those guys that was in there and decided to come back has entered the portal again, and he actually has ended up, at a new location. So he's not coming back uh, in day-day Hollins. He goes to Charlotte. Um, that's, you know, look, that's one where, I mean, he he is honestly a bigger blow to the special teams unit. I mean, he played 165 special team snaps a year ago, um, which was one of the most on the entire team. But in terms of what he brings to the table on the defensive side of the football, he's a depth guy in the nickel. And Carolina had been using Elijah Huzzy there uh, Antavious Lane, who's coming in from Georgia State in the summer as a transfer, he's a guy that's played there before in his career, uh, actually played a pretty solid amount of snaps there, about one-third of his snaps uh, at Georgia State there, uh, including a good amount this past year, and then you've got Derek Allen, who's also played a little bit there, the transfer from Georgia Tech, so they got m- a-, a lot of different guys that they can use there if needed, now Holland's a guy that's been experienced. He's, I mean, Carolina's been using him in the slot, especially in the spring, for uh, the better part of four years now. But that one is not the one that concerns me the most. Uh, clearly, Jaquarius Conley, I, I said it when, you know, we were, when I posted the article the other day. I think this is the biggest one to depart of either transfer window. I think this is the toughest one to mm. swallow because he's a former starter. Um, you know, and, and I guess, you know, some people have still said there's a lot of guys, a lot of draft guys. You'll actually hear uh, Ian Cummings talk about it, him a little bit later, didn't actually go into the player himself, but mentioned him. A lot of people still think Tony Grimes is, is the biggest guy to leave. But I think with Conley, you know, you really saw the versatility that he brought in his first year. He only started one game, believe it or not, in his freshman season, but he played a ton. He, I mean, he finished with 35 total tackles. He was tremendous in the nickel. The The best game that he played was a game he didn't even start, which was the game against Miami. He mm-hmm. was phenomenal in that game. Um, and then they move him to safety to start the 2021 season, and I thought he looked really good. He for, you know forced two interceptions early in the season. I mean, yeah, again, still some inconsistencies, but he was also a sophomore playing that position at the college level for the first time. And then, you know, he suffers the injury, which, by the way, I mean, how frustrating is that now looking back on it? He gets injured on a kick return against Wofford? Why the hell was he even in the game there at that point?
2: And, and, and maybe this doesn't play as big a role into that decision to transfer it's got to show a lack of trust and faith with the coach staff and putting you in the best position because well it's i will Wofford. there's I will no say reason this.
0: the special teams coach at the time is no longer with the program and i think that may have been a big part as to why yeah, but he I mean, was not with the team but it's a it's a it's a fair point it's a fair point
2: that that that's a direct reflection of coaching malpractice like as important as he was as he is he gets injured, and look a game
0: where Sam Howell didn't start. By the way, because yeah. he was hurt. They so, were valuing him, but other guys on the team, we were throwing them out there in situations where we didn't need them.
2: You know, it, it and, and I think he's a bigger he's a bigger loss than Tony Grimes because yes. he's, not, he's not the headache Tony Grimes was. Like, let's just go ahead and say what it was with his his family. He, he was becoming a headache because they they had he has a father that's very open minded, and there's nothing wrong with that. When it be until it becomes a distraction, and when your son regressed the way that your son regressed from his freshman season to last year, you're not going to play as much, and you're going to see other guys out there. And so, it's um, it's it's it, it, it's really it just really puts that secondary in an even tougher spot than they already were, where we were coming out of the spring saying it doesn't look like they found many answers to the many questions that exist in in that backfield.
0: Yeah, I mean, look with with, with Grimes, I. I mean, he he was definitely out of the corners that you had. He was probably your best corner a year ago that played uh, a significant amount of reps. And by significant, I'm saying like 400, 500. Because eventually, later in the year, you saw some promising things from Marcus Allen. Um, the thing with him was just inconsistency. Um, the the I I get it. You can't. You know, it it happens. I thought one thing that rubbed me the wrong way was the punch thrown in the game against Notre Dame on Noah Taylor that was that was just
2: yes yeah, yeah showed more fight in that instance than they did on the actual football I mean it's, field. it
0: it was just an odd moment. I mean Noah Taylor was a dude. I don't know I, I, I thought Noah Taylor brought a good amount to the table, especially leadership wise. I thought he played hard um and and that was that was just that was just weird. It just felt like you know the, the vibe was always a little off there with him and look it's not all his fault we've said it and and I don't really think most of it is his fault I think the development from this staff and primarily Dre Bly was terrible and that's the reason why Dre Bly is no longer here he's now in the NFL which is you know something and I'm here's the thing again wishing him the best but that was the thing with Tony Grimes where with Conley it felt like with Conley, it was just about getting him back at full speed. Once he's back at full speed, I think he would be fine. And look, he he didn't come out and burn it up in spring practice. I mean, he wasn't a guy that was being talked about over and over again. Gene Shizik was asked about him in one of his pressers, and he said, look, he's, he's still basically a new guy because he didn't really get to do much last year. So he's trying to fit into this new system. But my thing is, is I... I think if you look at all of the guys in that safety room, when they are at their best, if you're basing it just on pure upside, is he not the best player of the guys that were in that room? I mean, yes. I like Will Hardy. Trust me, I like Will Hardy. But I feel like Conley, we, we saw just how dynamic of a player he could be in those first two years, and now you've got to find a way to try to replace that. Yep. So now, the you know, the question in the defensive backfield is, is where do they, you know, where do they go from here? Now, the good news is Don Chapman, who entered the transfer portal, after six days, he's removed his name from the transfer portal. Now, you wonder, does Jaquarius Conley's transfer have something to do with that? Probably. I mean, Conley transfers on Monday, then Don Chapman removes his name yesterday. He's now probably the guy that you would think, at least of the returning guys, he's the guy that very clearly has the best chance to push uh, the other, the the guys that we think are going to be the starters, the incumbents from late last year in Hardy and Giovanni Biggers, but I I look, I mean, I think him coming back is, is helpful. Um... But I, I will tell you this, if there's other guys, if there's younger guys, they have two true freshmen that are coming in in the summer. Um, they have you know the transfers in, in, in Allen and Lane. If either one of those guys shows more than him, you can't be afraid to let them pass him over on the depth chart because I think we've kind of seen what Don Chapman is. He's a guy that won't get you killed, but he's not a game changer.
2: Yeah, no, I think best-case scenario, he's a good depth piece. He's yes, a good guy yes, to, to exactly. have in there play on a rotational basis or, or, or something like that, if you're asking him to start and play seven, 800 plus snaps, probably not going to be very good news. And this shouldn't be a move that hinders Carolina from going into the portal to find other safeties and, and, and other players at that position. Because I feel like you can find upgrades. And maybe I'm wrong, but we've seen Don Chapman. I like Don Chapman a lot when he played as a true freshman. He did a lot of really nice things for that defense. But it, it, it hasn't really grown and it hasn't really developed really since then. So um, if, if he's a guy that comes off the bench and, and plays to keep other guys fresh, I, I think that that's a boost. His experience should should, should also be pretty helpful if you're going to have two freshmen like you talked about maybe factor into whether it's the starting lineup or the rotation back there at safety. And, and, and so – um it's not really it's not really a win it's not really a loss you just get another name on the depth chart and you know as i said this this should not this should not stop them from looking in the portal to find upgrades over Don Chapman.
0: Well the thing see i don't know if they're going to get another one from the portal this time around cuz you got Allen who's who's who was with the team in the spring. The big one is La- is Antavius Lane coming over from Georgia State because he had i mean he forced ten interceptions in three years there, so he's he's going to play at some point. I think, to be honest, out of out of the guys in that room right now, um, the biggest threat to those starters is Lane. I, I I would be stunned if he's not a starter. I think it's there's a good chance it's him, and and probably Will Hardy. Although Giovanni Biggers is a guy that's experienced, so I don't know. I I think. That's a position I've, I feel pretty confident at in terms of just the number of bodies in the room, in terms of the, the guys that are in there. I mean, look, if there's a game changer at the safety spot that is in the portal, I don't, as of right now, see one of those. I think that it's it's worth maybe taking a flyer on, but I think they're probably pretty set there. Now, what about the edge rusher position? This is where two guys, you know, that were buried on the depth chart. They also entered the portal, Gabe Stevens, Bryson Jennings. Um, I think the one here that's more significant uh, is Bryson Jennings. I mean, I think, you know, Gabe Stevens, he was starting to put on the weight that he needed. I mean, he came in from high school uh, just a little over 200 pounds, very thin frame, Uh, but he was up to 220. Uh, They were going to use him a little bit at that jack position. That's still, you know, a little bit light for Uh, That spot, but he was a guy that was not only going to be able to rush the passer, but have the ability to drop back into coverage. But he was kind of buried behind some of the younger guys that were making impacts. Tyler Thompson, the four-star true freshman, uh, as well as J. Bron Harvey, who flashed in the spring game. Um, so, th- with that, it makes sense why he entered the portal. And then with Bryson Jennings, I mean, he was buried behind a, a bevy of guys. Now, the concerning part with him is he's only a redshirt, fr- he was a redshirt freshman. He redshirted last year. And that's a room that's relatively old at that power end spot where he is going to play. Do you have concern with the edge rusher spot in terms of depth? Because I'm not really I'm not really overly concerned about the depth at that at those positions.
2: No, because if you want to go add depth, you can find better guys than those guys are in the portal.
0: I mean, Bryson Jennings was a high end three, almost a four star coming out of high school. So I think, yeah, that's the one that yeah. you're 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 not you're, you're you. I feel like you can find high
2: end three stars in the transfer portal, and if you can't. You probably got bigger issues. So, um, you know, Gabe Stevens was a guy that you know. I think we knew from the moment he got on campus it was going to be hard for him to make an impact. He had a
0: ton of injury issues too early, just so. trying to get
2: his body to a to a, a a playing weight that he can make an impact at this level. So, you, you know, I, I'm not I'm not really as concerned because if they need to go find more guys, I think you can find them. You can find them in the portal because, as you mentioned, there there's experience and stuff up front now to where, I mean, that's why there's so much pressure on Tim Cross to get that unit working and playing at a high level because you've had due tier, You've got talent up front. Now you, now you need production. And yep. so, um, you know, death is always going to be a concern, but that's why the portal does exist for you to go and, and find those guys if you need them. So today, no, I'm not concerned. So probably in October when everyone's hurt and we have no pass rush, then I'll be like, yeah, probably we probably we probably should have done something to keep those guys around. Well,
0: see, here's the thing about these two moves. I don't think this is really concerning this season. I think the the bigger question is does this concern you more down the line? I s- still say no because you got Daniel Anderson who's coming in as an edge rusher in this class. You could still start offering more guys in the recruiting class if you feel like you still need that added depth. Um, you know, look, Bryson Jennings was a guy that had a lot of upside. Uh, that's that's the one that that I'm I'm that that hurts a little bit more out of the two. But the other thing with him too that I found interesting is he 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 was weighing in at two forty five and they had him playing power end. Like, a lot of the guys that are playing that spot are more in the 260, Mm. 265, even bigger than that. Now, look, that doesn't mean he can't put the weight on. Bo Atkinson did it this year, and now he's at that power end spot. But that's the other thing. You're talking about... Bo Atkinson being a guy that's in that room for Carolina. Jacoby Cowan is still there. Um, you know, a guy that I think it, it upside probably seems a little bit limited at this point, but still a nice rotational piece. And then you're talking about the the big guns. Um, Dez Evans, who at this point, I mean, has to break out. This is it. This is his final shot at it anyways. This has to pretty much be, I mean, this has to be him breaking out. But there's a legitimate chance that he won't even start there because you got Javari Ritzy. Now figuring out where exactly he's going to be is important, but I feel like, you know, they'll use him a pretty good amount at that power end spot. Personally, I think that's probably, I don't know if that's the best. I, I like, I like him a little bit more inside, but I still think he, he can do what you need him to do on the end. And then you've got Tamari Fox, who's back in the rotation as well, who will be very similar to, to Ritzy and how they use them, they can line them up at either that three technique defensive tackle spot or at that power end spot. So, I, I yeah, I'm not really that concerned about it for this season moving forward. Eh, mildly more so with the with that power end spot, but I I, I still think Carolina's in pretty good shape there. Now here's the here's the last question, uh, and then we do have Ian Cummings uh, coming up with us here from. Pro Football Network to talk about uh, the guys uh, that are uh, looking to get selected in the draft here over these next few days. Do you feel like there is a position right now that this team needs to go into the transfer portal and get something at? I don't, to me, I don't really know if there's one that sticks out. Maybe, I, I like I think it's really going to be more rotational guys. The two I would eye up would be offensive line, primarily tackle, because you've got Adorno inside that can be your rotational guy at guard and linebacker.
2: Yeah, I was thinking linebacker. Linebackers from a depth perspective, like you're not bringing Gray or Eccles off the field. No, 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 no. You know, you did lose last year's um, breakout player uh, candidate, Ra Ra Dilworth. He's gone, Um, and he was not, you know, an All ACC caliber player last year. He. Didn't really play a whole lot. That's why he left, and I'm an idiot. So, yeah, okay. I, I mean, you know, linebacker really was the first one that popped in my mind just from a depth perspective. Well, yeah,
0: Sebastian Cheeks was also still limited in the spring, so I, I, I'm I, with you on that one. <laughs> I would really like for for them to take a hard look at that.
2: Yeah, and, then, I mean, like, you can never have too many offensive linemen, I feel like.
0: I just – the, the I, and maybe you saw it differently. I thought the – drop off from that first team unit to that second team unit was significant. And and maybe look, maybe I'm downplaying Trevion Green who was out injured too. He he could be that seventh guy in there, but like to me, why if you could get a veteran guy, maybe even one that comes up from um, you know, the FCS level or so, just a a guy that can get in there and compete, I wouldn't mind that.
2: Yeah, no, I wouldn't either. So yeah. And I mean like I said, I if 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 you can find a safety i'm not going to say no so whether it's a <laughs> depth whether it's a depth piece maybe you find a diamond in the rough i i am legitimately concerned that as much as mac brown has been outspoken against the transfer portal if him and his staff are doing the work in the portal Like you need to to win at this day and age. Well,
0: here's the thing. I'm not really concerned about them doing the work in the portal. I'm concerned, because they brought in a pretty good haul this past time. I'm concerned that the more more that you talk about it, the more that you continue to... How much is it a
2: turnoff for to transfer? Dude, I
0: mean, when you are sitting down with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated and basically just completely eviscerating the transfer portal and... Pretty much, I mean, what he's basically been saying in a roundabout way without saying it is that it is an easy way out for kids. Yeah,
2: you're basically indirectly calling these kids quitters.
0: And, I mean, dude, to a certain extent, you have to play the game. It's the same thing when he says about guys being taken off of rosters and stuff like that, guys being talked to while they're still on the roster. Well, dude, I get it. It's not the it, it's not the classiest thing to do but hey man there's no rule against it like you've got to play the game or you're going to get left behind. Yeah.
2: So it, That's
0: the point that I'm at. So um, yeah. I mean, it's frustrating but I don't know. Like yeah, I I mean, I think it was a pretty solid haul. Ho- you got guys that can really contribute for yeah, you. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, dude, the the two transfer wide receivers, I I really liked what you did with but
0: yeah, <laughs> Huz, Huzzy's rave reviews on him. Would have loved to see him in the spring game. Yeah, I mean, he, but
2: he, he he looked great. Oh, that's right, he wasn't on the field in the spring game. God, man, the one reason we tuned in to watch the defense really—he wasn't there. I mean, he, he was, here's the thing—he was
0: raved about so much. I was so excited, and then they showed him him. By the way, it was him, and they were talking really highly about the improvement of Travis Shaw. Losing the weight and everything like that, and he was out too. I, I was, was like, "Oh,
2: come on!" I was as disappointed in those guys not playing as women are when they see me on dates.
0: Okay, well,
2: you know, here's the thing about the wouldn't portal. be
0: wouldn't be one of these editions of the show without some joke about our our just terrible dating lives.
2: When yeah, when Mac Brown first got to Carolina and the portal was becoming what it was, Carolina was the cool place to be. You had a new head coach. New energy, a lot of money. You had the year you had with Sam Howell. And he said, look, everybody wants to now come and and play here. And then you kind of fall flat on your face. You go 6-7. and You start 9-1 and a year ago. And we were sitting here saying, look, when the season ended, you would think with a guy like Drake May, who's going to be a Heisman contender, a first-round NFL draft pick, it would be easy to go get the type of guys that you, A, want, B, Mm -hmm. need to get here, and then you have your head coaches kind of eviscerate the whole process of the portal. So it, it's, it's, it's tricky to navigate. He's got to understand in this day and age, if you're not willing to go that route at Carolina, look, you can be, when Bama, Ohio State, Georgia are being in the portal, there's no reason for Carolina not to be. We've seen Dabo be really stubborn at Clemson about not going in the portal.
0: It's not working out great. And,
2: you know, he just went 10-3 and or 11-3 and and won a conference title and everyone said they had a bad year. So there's no excuse. Get in the portal, get the work done, and find the guys that can help you win. That way, when we're talking at the end of the year, we're not talking about wasting Drake May.
0: Well, and here's the other thing about this is they're really – the thing you have to wonder – about with a lot of the guys. Look, Carolina still is a cool place to play for guys on the offensive side of the ball. Like the two receivers that they've landed, they've landed because hey, this is this is they want to play with Drake. Now, the the other thing that you have to wonder is hey, so far in this 2024 class, you're not exactly knocking it out of the park. You you've got you've got the numbers in terms of the gotten number of recruits you're bringing in, but all but one of them is a three-star, and there's a good chance that that four-star could eventually become a three-star too, the way he's trending on some of those recruiting sites. So you, you've you got to keep your mind open. That's the one thing that we're asking at this point from Mac Brown, because at times, it seems like he doesn't have his mind open to it, and that's the frustrating part. So when we come back on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, we turn to the NFL Draft, the Tar Heels, with three guys that have a great chance of hearing their name called over the next three days of the NFL Draft. Uh, We go in-depth on all three of those guys and also talk about Drake May, and a couple other guys in the 2024 class to keep an eye on on this Tar Heel roster in terms of their NFL futures with Ian Cummings of the Pro Football Network. Hear that right after this on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough blog and find the Heel Tough blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Healtough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow. And you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at The Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back to The HeelTough Blog podcast. Anthony Pagnata here with you guys. And now it is time. To welcome in our first draft guest of the season, it's been it's been it's been crazy. We've been trying to get some draft guests on, um, but you know we finally got one of the guys that I think is doing uh, one of the best jobs of covering this draft. He works for Pro Football Network, and his name is Ian Cummings. He has done a tremendous job. And he is here with us today to break down the Tar Heels big three uh, that are going to be, you know, we we would expect to hear their names called uh, in the draft here next week. So, uh, Ian, first of all, man, how's it going? I know uh, it's coming down to the end here. This has been a crazy draft. I'm currently, you know, I I work for a radio station here in Charlotte. Uh, All we've been talking about is Bryce Young and the number one pick. But uh, I know there's been a lot of other storylines going on around this class. So I know you've kind of been uh, all over the place covering all this stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, man. It's the the amount of ground that you have to cover each cycle is taxing. It's almost insane, man. I mean, every position, you know, I try to be as thorough as I can, you know, for each player. Right. And it gets you need to really get down in the nitty gritty for the first rounders all the way to the seventh rounders. So you never want to be caught off guard for a selection. At least, you know, know who it is. Right. So. It's a lot of ground to cover, you know, every year, you know, and it's it's kind of it's it's a weird position to be in. Right. You know, you do all this groundwork for months and months and months. And then after a three day event, it's over just like that. Right. You know, so, you know, it's it's a it's it's tough, but it's rewarding. Right. You know, as I said before, and, you know, really knowing how these guys win, you know, and what they can provide at the next level helps you project better, you know, kind of project landing spots and kind of be prepared for what's going to happen. But it's been fun. You know, it's been great. Got to go to Las Vegas for the Shrine Bowl. And uh, you watch the NFL combine. So it's, it's been great. You know, this, this class in particular, more than most, it feels like you don't really know what to expect. And I feel like that kind of compounds the appeal heading into next Thursday.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we're at with a lot of the Tar Heel guys. And uh, look, the first one that I want to talk about is a guy that you actually tweeted out just a little while ago, about 30 minutes uh, ago on your Twitter account. And that is offensive tackle, awesome Richards. And, you know, with him, I I, I think. It's for Tariel fans, it's a complicated legacy that he leaves behind because I think, honestly, he was sort of a great representation of what the team did a year ago. He was outstanding the first 10 games of this past season, the best he's looked throughout his career at left tackle. And, you know, people were feeling pretty confident that, hey, this guy could be an all-conference player, could be a first-team all-conference player, and then really struggles the final four games of the year, starts showing some of those same issues that he had, holding up against some of those speedier edge rushers. So when you watch him, what what do you think about him, and you know, what do you think about ultimately where he plays at the next level? Because I know when he was at the Senior Bowl, they were playing him a little bit on the inside of guard.
1: Yeah, I think that's ultimately where he projects, right? And I think – you know, some of the the top end tools that he has, I think, enabled him to succeed at tackle for, you know, a large part of the season. Like you said, uh, this is a guy who's six foot four, around three, ten pounds, thirty-four-inch arms, right? For me, when I'm looking at blockers, one thing, you know, it's not a necessity, right? But one thing that I really look for is if you have that natural leverage, you know, so if you're a 6'4 guy, you're going up against 6'4, 6'5 edge rushers. Some are 6'3, right? But, you know, some tackles are 6'6, 6'7. You know, a lot of people say that length is very coveted in offensive tackles, and it's true. But, you know, it's not a correlation with taller guys. Usually you want taller guys because they are longer. But if a guy is 6'4 and has 34 arms like like Richards does, you know, that combination of natural leverage being able to play lower and then also having the proportional length to, you know, generate more power on your extensions to make contact quicker. That's a very valuable combination. And Richards definitely has that. And it shows up as a very good, uh, a very big plus on his tape, you know, being able to make contact and gather guys and not play too tall. Right. You know, one thing that I noticed, you know, going up against Keon White from Georgia Tech, he had some really nice reps against him where, you know, he's Keon White is not a small dude. He's got very, very good power capacity. And if he gets inside your torso, he can drive you back. But Asim Richards was getting his hands on him, and once he got anchored, man, he was just rolling his base back and absorbing that power rush because he's so strong in his core. You know, having that length, having that natural leverage really helps with that. So I think those baseline traits are very valuable for him and I think that's what enabled him to win against college competition but you mentioned it the speedier guys the bendier guys Asim Richards from what I saw on tape is noticeably stiff in the hips he's not a guy who's going to bend or redirect very naturally you know he's not very good on hinging his hips and recovering and kind of you know getting out of phase to cover ground sometimes you need to be able to adjust like that as an offensive tackle and I don't quite i don't quite think he has that in his arsenal and so that's why i'd rather keep him in a phone booth as a guard right i think you know working in a phone booth he can really use the full extent of his tools that length that power that he has and then on top of that too if you need him to get out and pull he's going to be a little delayed on hinging his hips and getting out there but once he does align like that he does have good straight line burst too and i think that was reflected in his testing as well i think he ran a 512 40 yard dash so the tools are there to translate as a solid guard, I think. You know, the, the hip stiffness is always going to concern me a little bit, and there are some inefficiencies with the footwork, right? You know, sometimes he extends a little too early, a little too hasty, and that can cause him to lurch a little bit. So still some technical things to, to refine a little bit as well. But I do think, especially if you have a plan for him on the inside and we saw at the Senior Bowl, teams are already looking at him like that. If they're playing him inside at the Senior Bowl, it's because teams wanted to see him there, right? So it shows mm-hmm. interest, and I think that – That's ultimately where he projects best. I think, you know, you could, it's valuable that he can play tackle and that's going to make him a very good depth piece right away. But I think he does have legit upside at guard, potentially maybe starting down the road.
0: Yeah. Where do you see him, you know, in terms of his stock? I, guy that, I think, you know, when you the things that you said right there, he kind of reminds me of in terms of the versatility and everything like that is a guy we just saw come out of Carolina last year in Joshua Zudu. Do you think he could be one of those guys where he's probably a day three guy, but maybe if someone falls in love with him, he sneaks into the back of day two?
1: I think that could be a possibility. Yeah, I think Azudu was a little bit better athlete. I I think Mm. Richards is, for me, he's more of a day three guy, but I could easily see a team if they really like the profile that he has taking him late day two because he does have that versatility, that implied versatility anyway. And then again, the natural leverage, the proportional length. And another thing on his tape is that If he does have the leverage advantage on you, and if you give up that leverage, he will finish you. You know, he's physical. You know, we saw against Keon White again. You know, there were reps where, you know, if White gave himself up and went a little too low, Richards buried him in the dirt, you know, piled on top of him. So he's one of those guys who is going to finish, you know, he's going to drive through those running run blocks down the field and keep his legs churning. And you'd like to see that from guys too. So I think that physical aspect as well could win win teams over. I would probably wait until day three to take him because I value mobility a little bit more in tackles. And he's not a liability there, but the hips stiffness for for me is a little bit of a concern you know even at guard you know needing to recover and kind of adjust your positioning you know having that hip stiffness can be a hindrance for that but i think on early day three you know is where he'll start to get heavy consideration if he's still there but he is a guy where you know kind of like azudu you know he does have the upside enough upside in the right role we could see him sneak into day two you know i look at the Uh, a few teams that need interior blockers the bills need some guys who can be physical right again having that proportional length and that physicality is a is a very good thing so I I could see that it really depends on what team's preferences are but especially in this in this class right you're looking at Osiris Torrance and Steve Avila as the top guards but even even they're not super high on my board right and I think we're expecting them to go earlier than you know they should right round two maybe round one but you know, after they go, there's kind of a void in this guard class. And I think a player like Richards could fill that in and potentially go earlier than expected.
0: Well, let's stick with the guys that are projected to go in day three. And let's talk about Antoine green. You know, he's kind of a mysterious one because there's, there's, you know, inconsistent tape on him because he's been hurt so much, but I thought this past year, he really started to show why he's a guy that could potentially be drafted. What do you think about him as a prospect? I know he showed out a little bit, um, you know, out, out there at the Shrine Bowl, but what, what what did you think of him ultimately?
1: Yeah, he's another fun one on day three, I think, especially if you value tools in a wide receiver, right? This guy's got tools to mold for sure. Uh, I think he's around six foot two, around 200 pounds, had over 32 inch arms again. So really good length, really good catch radius. And I think you know, one of the best ways that he was used at North Carolina was kind of as that vertical threat, right? He has the long strider explosiveness, the long strider mold to accelerate very quickly upfield and generate separation. And then once he is downfield, you know, he tracks the ball very well. We've seen him, you know, kind of guided in very easily while maintaining his positioning downfield. But at the Shrine Bowl, I distinctly remember Uh, It was day three. We were inside for that practice, and uh, he had a rep against Keetra Clark from Louisville uh, at corner, who Keetra Clark had a dominant week. I mean, he was one of the best players at the Shrine Bowl. And uh, Antoine Green, he uh, displaced him early on the line with a split release, got up field with his his explosiveness, but then he used a wicked double move, you know, kind of chopping his feet, using stride variations to get Clark to pause and bite and he got Clark to bite and then he exploded into the end zone got separation stacked him and extended beyond his frame made a phenomenal hands catch and got both feet and bounds in the corner of the end zone so reps like that you know where he puts that all together right? The release to separate early on, the explosiveness, to stack and the speed, right? But then also the body control, the coordination, and then using his length to high point that ball and get it well, we're at a place where that corner can't challenge it and contest it. You know, those are great things to see from, you know, I think I want to see him expand his route tree at the next level. One reason why he is a day three guy for me, you know, he was mainly used as a vertical threat in North Carolina. You know, you do see him, he does show the lateral twitch, I think, necessary to separate on quick slants and other, you know, short and intermediate route concepts. But, By and large, a vertical guy, but he does have a role within that because he's shown that he can stack, he can use spatial manipulation, uh, and then converting at the catch point as well. Another very valuable trait, obviously, for a wide receiver. All the work you do before the catch, none of it matters if you don't bring the ball in. And so he's shown that he can do that, too. I'm a big fan of the tools, right? Again, probably day three, but explosive long strider with that length, that catch radius. Uh, and he's shown he can vary his strides and to separate, right? That's that's something that I'm willing to bank on. So, you know, I'm very intrigued to see where he goes and how he's used because the tools are there.
0: Well, let's talk about the guy that everybody around Tar Heel football wants to talk about in this class, and that's Josh Downs. You know, he's part of a, a group of smaller wide receivers in a class that, is, is interesting to me because I've heard there are some people that absolutely love guys in this class. We were joking about this today uh, with the guys here in Charlotte. They said, look, you know, Steve Smith, he loves pretty much every wide receiver in this class. I've heard other people tell me as it's sort of drug on here that this wide receiver class is really weak because you've got a, a bunch of really small guys. But you know, when I, when I, Think of Josh Downs. I just think of a guy that finds ways to get open, that catches just about nearly everything, that does a lot of things after the catch. You know, w- what do you think about him? Is is he a prospect that can really have an effect early and and often in his career at the NFL level?
1: I think he is, and I'm a big fan of Josh Downs. Uh, he's my wide receiver three now four yeah wide receiver four I got Quentin Johnson Jackson Smith and Jigba Cedric Tillman and then Josh Downs is my fourth guy and I can't be mad at that yeah. Zay Flowers is my fifth yeah so you know he's in that top five and that's not that's not uh you know that's not something to be disappointed about you know even in this wide receiver class there is talent you know I just think it's there there's fewer guaran- guarantees right we're so used to right. being able to say this guy is going to be in a thousand yard guy right off the bat All right. We're so used to having that confidence, right? You don't quite have that confidence for some guys this year, but the talent is still there. And I'm a big fan of Josh Downs. I think uh, one thing that I look at for receivers, I try to run them through what I call the three level threat framework. Can you separate before the catch? Can you make a play at the catch point? And can you create after the catch? You know, the three levels of wide receiver play. And for his size, being a five nine, one seventy pound guy, he actually fills that pretty nicely. right? I mean, you you look at him, I mean, obviously, before the catch, you would want a guy of his size to be able to separate, and he certainly can can, but he's not just he's not just an athlete, right? He's certainly very explosive, incredibly agile and flexible and fluid with his hips too. He can stop in a dime, the twitch, the start stop ability. But on top of that, he knows how to use it. And that's something that really gives me confidence with his tape. He will press upfield right into the stem and and kind of push DBs off their spot before making his cuts, right? He's very manipulative with his movements on top of having the athleticism to stay in control. He can put defenders on a yo-yo with that athleticism. And I love that about him. But then at the catch point too, you know. He's proven he can separate, but there are some DVs in the NFL who will have the speed to kind of make that ground up. And but I mean, he's shown I think he had one of the highest contested catch rates among college receivers, you know, the past two years at his size. That's pretty impressive. But this is a guy who, you know, he's shown you don't really expect it from a guy with his frame but he can extend beyond that frame. He can convert at the catch point, especially when imbalanced, you know, some leaping diving catches where he will still maintain focus, get his hands in the right spot and cradle the ball, you know, when he needs to. So, you know, he's a high level catcher of the football in the body of a guy you know a separation machine right so you know a lot to like there and then after the catch as well you mentioned it I mean he's slippery he's agile twitchy again you you can use him in motion right you can put him in the slop use him in motion kind of get him the ball that way Um, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can use him but on top of that too he has the route nuance to maximize his athleticism as a separator and that's very exciting for me my comp for him is Doug Baldwin actually I think Baldwin had Mm -hmm. a little more mass coming out but I do think You know, when you're talking about an undersized receiver who's an amped up athlete, who knows how to use that athleticism to manipulate defenders at stems and separate, who can convert beyond his frame and actually, you know, catch the ball in contested situations, you know, he checks a lot of those boxes for me. And I think that, you know, his frame aside, I do want him to add a little bit more mass because again, 171 is on the lower side, right? But I do think in spite of that, if you can give him space to work with, especially, uh, this is a guy who can go on to be a very good slot weapon with some versatility to move around as well.
0: Boy, yeah. I I think I mean if he's Doug Baldwin, I think Tariel fans would be absolutely thrilled. Now, here's the ultimate question, and this is one that I'm asking, you know, from a Tariel perspective, and also probably for you know a good amount of Panther fans that listen to this podcast as well. You know, where do you sort of see him slotting in? Because I, I there was a time where it seemed like there might be a shot that he could be a first-round pick. Now I'm hearing he's a guy that's probably in the m- early part of that second round, maybe even the middle part. W- where do you think he slots in, and could the Panthers be a really good fit for him?
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, because I think, you know, the ability is un- indisputable on, on the field, you know, the dynamic athleticism, you know, that's the three level framework that he provides, you know, I'm a huge fan of it, right. But as a media analyst, I've learned, you know, you need to stay open to other possibilities, because the NFL, you know, every single team, all 32 teams, they have different thought processes, different preferences, a wide receiver in every position, you know, different philosophies when it comes to risk aversion so you know needless to say and to some eight the variables are countless right so it's one of those things where it's really tough to pin it down Um, I do think you know his testing will help him out a lot you know testing the way he did and no one needed to see the testing to know that he's a crazy athlete I mean we've known since high school I think he had an over 40 inch vert out of high school as well so you know Josh Downs has always been this verifiable uh, spark plug on the field with his athleticism but you know that six seven three cone as well was very valuable you know it kind of shows how fluid, how agile he is, how easy it is for him to change directions and sustain acceleration through those changes. So, you know, he's got all that in his toolbox. But again, you know, and this is a conversation that people are going to have this year for Emmanuel Forbes, Mississippi State corner, you know, he was in the 160s range for his weight, another massive outlier. And you're going to see like, on film, he's a phenomenal player. I mean, there's not a lot of holes he you can poke in his game. Explosive, uh, he can read routes, you know, intelligent, instinctive, playmaker, ball hawk, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, that weight could be a concern for teams and that could push him down the board. I think in this class, it's unique because after Johnston and Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, there are a lot of smaller receivers, you know, Zay Flowers as well, but also Tyler Scott, Tank Dell, you know, some guys who aren't quite in that X mold. And I think you know, the scarcity of that mold could maybe, you know, force teams like, Hey, you know, this guy's here. We'd like him. Let's take him. Uh, But I think it'll be a conversation for each team to have in regards to where he goes. I have a top 30 grade on him. You know, I would take him in the first round, Mm. but you know, I think the weight could push him down a little bit. It's just, there's so much scarcity at wide receiver. If a team really does like him. I think the question is, what is your vision for him? Do you think you can move him around a bit? Or do you think he's mainly a slot guy for the Panthers in particular at 39 I think that is a range the downs could go in. I think he could easily still be there because of his weight and he would be a very quality pick at that point. But the Panthers also, you know, they have Adam Thielen, they got DJ DJ Chark, but I would want a guy who can play the slot and the boundary. I would want a guy with a little more versatility for them, right? To kind of complete that unit. Uh, And I'm not sure the downs quite has that, right? You know, especially with his weight, you don't want him lining up on the boundary and playing against press too often, right? Because he can be disrupted by that. Yeah. Uh, So I think... With that, you know, I prefer a guy like Jaden Reed or Xavier Hutchinson for the Panthers. You know, maybe they end up being round three guys, but I do think you know, if you're the Panthers and you have confidence in, you know, the lateral twitch he can use to offset his size concerns a little bit on the outside, you know, if you're confident in that, and if you have a plan to move him around and, you know, get him the ball in space as a rack threat, we know we can do that too, then easily take him, right? You know, you'll get no complaints from me, but I think it's ultimately what they're looking for from a wide receiver. And if they think downs can fulfill that and his size will be a a definite talking point in that discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably something that the Tar Heels had to sort of balance in his time in Chapel Hill because they did say last offseason they wanted to use him a little bit more on the outside, and ultimately we never really saw that. He took almost every snap this past year in the slot, so I, I think they kind of learned that, yeah, we, we, we might want to experiment with that, but maybe they're leaving that up to NFL teams uh, to try to experiment with it a little bit more. Well, you know, speaking of guys that are on the current team here, uh, Ian, I think we've got to talk about Drake May. I know it's already looking forward to next year and you're probably like, man, let's just worry about this year. But he he wowed the scouts at the pro day for the Torials. He was the guy out there throwing to Josh Downs and Antoine Green. And it seems like, you know, coming into next year, he he's a guy that's in an even better position than Sam Howell was a few years ago coming into his final year in Chapel Hill to be a guy that goes early in the draft. You know, when you w- when you look at him, I mean, what jumps off the page to you about him? Why is he a guy that people are saying is looking like a top five pick and could be battling Caleb Williams to be the first quarterback off the board?
1: yeah for sure you know i think the first thing obviously you know the thing that separates any qb as a round one guy as opposed to a day two or day three is the physical talent i mean you need to have the physical talent that teams want to invest in you know and say this is a guy who you know he can't he won't just be our ceo our franchise ceo he has the talent to take us to the next level and beat a guy like patrick mahomes or josh allen in the playoffs if we end up facing them right because the modern nfl is all about weaponry right and maximizing your weapons and Ultimately, you need guys with talent to do that, right? And Drake May has it. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, listed at 6'4", 220. Uh, I, I think he could be another guy that we end up looking at, looking at later in the cycle and saying, like, this guy's actually a legit athlete. Like, I think he doesn't get enough credit for that sometimes. But, you know, he's he's another guy who's a very energized mover, uh, very impressive foot speed for his size. He's not lumbering at all. He can recover. He can, you know, change directions. He can evade rushers in the pocket and extend plays, right, and work off script and off-platform, but then the arm talent as well. Too. I don't think he quite has the rocket of a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson, but he's you know eighty for eighty-five percent there at least. I mean, he's definitely got starting level arm talent and arm strength. You know, he can drive velocity very easily. You know, the generation, the velocity generation is very, you know, it, it doesn't come with much strain for him. You know, that's one thing that stands out. His release is very smooth, very crisp. You can just get it out there. And he's very good at, you know, kind of layering throws with pace and touch as well, too. You know, that's one thing that I noticed the ball placement for him, you know, at his age especially is very impressive. So I think you have a lot of the building blocks of a franchise QB for him it'll be interesting to see how he does losing Josh Downs, losing Antoine green. uh, And then, you know, kind of having some turnover on the offensive line too, with the seam Richards, we got round coming back. Um, But I do think, you know, another year, It's going to be interesting to see because he has the tools, I think, to stay in that conversation and not just stay in that conversation, but definitely be in that top three overall pick discussion, you know, especially with the quarterback tax at the top of the board. Can he challenge Caleb Williams? You know, at this point, I think Williams himself may be overrated a little bit at this point, but that's not, you know, slight to Williams. That's just saying, you know, we're already, some people are already calling him a generational prospect. And I think it's, it's too early to call anyone that, right. You know, he, he does have some work to, to do in the pocket, you know, and these are guys that, you know, they haven't been exposed to that enhanced level of scrutiny yet, because it's not their cycle yet. Next season, yep. you know, we know they're talented. But next season, we're going to really start getting into the the details of like, oh, how does he anticipate how does he process coverage, the reaction speed, the pocket management, right. So, you know, all of those things we're reserving for until we have a, a, a much more recent, you know, a much more up to date sample size to go off of. But you know, the talent at the very least, does separate him in that discussion. And I think if he has a phenomenal year, right? And if Caleb Williams regresses or shows some issues in structure, you know, there is a possibility where maybe he can be that guy. But I think, you know, anything's possible. And as a draft evaluator, you got to keep your options open. But the talent at the very least puts him in that discussion. It's legit. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does.
0: Well, we, we know what, you know, every year it's the same thing, Ian, right? The best quarterback class is always the next quarterback class. That's what yeah. we hear every single year.
1: Yeah, it's 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 like clockwork, I swear, you know, and this year, especially too. Yeah. like last year. Now, last year, that argument had merit because Kenny Pickett, he was my QB one, but I I had a day too great on him. Right. So, I mean, that yeah. that that QB class was generally weaker. And yes, this one ended up being stronger. But now we're hearing, you know, now you got people talking about CJ Stroud all of a sudden, yeah. like, oh, he should fall down the board. You know, Oh, Richardson's going to be a boomer bust guy. Right. You know, so there's always going to be that uncertainty, that that initial optimism. Right. And then the eventual uncertainty. Uh, you know, I always just try to stick to the diagnostics on the tape, you know, what does it show, right, you know, really stick to the foundation. But the the talent is the biggest part of that foundation, you know, the physical talent, having that talent to, you know, be worth that investment, Caleb Williams, Drake May, there's a few other guys that could be in that discussion too. But right now, I think those are the only two guys that really have the the level of production for their experience to to say, like, we're separated at the top. And, or legitimate top ten, you know, top five consideration next year. So I'm, I'm excited to see. You know, it's, it's, it's. Uh, there, there is a place where it's too early to talk about that, and I think we're at that place. But at the same time, we, we can start to look ahead. You know, because I think the talent is definitely there.
0: Yeah. Oh, and and that's the thing is that everybody always wants to look ahead, and I'll tell you this in terms of you know, him losing Josh Downs, Antoine Green. They brought in two guys transfer-wise uh, in Devontae Walker, who transferred in from Kent State. Uh, you've got Nate McCollum, who transfers in from Georgia Tech and is going to take over that slot role. Both of those guys have looked tremendous in the spring. There's a lot of confidence that that unit is still going to be uh, as strong as it was a year ago, if not even a little better because of the guys that uh, are, you know, still in the room from a year ago getting better. So I feel like they'll probably be good pretty good in that area. The offensive line, eh, it's it's a little iffy. They have William Barnes moving over from right guard to take over for Awesome Richards, but I still think that it's a it's a pretty good situation for Drake May. So, I think you'll be entertained watching him this year with the weapons that he's got out there. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you, you told me before um, you know, we started here that there are some other guys that you're at least keeping an eye on when it comes to next year's draft who are some of those guys besides Drake May that that you're looking at in the 24 class and saying at least early on you think they've got at least a shot to be drafted
1: yeah you know there's a few that come to mind bryson nesbitt at tight end is the one that was the first one that kind of stood out to me i mean he was very productive last year i got to pull up the stats here but i remember i remember watching him on tape a little bit when i was watching downs and and in uh, and green, and I was saying, yeah, you know, this guy's got some tools. I mean, six five two thirty, you know, a lean athlete for his size, but he ended up getting 35 catches for 507 and four TDs. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a in your second year, that's impressive production. And that's, you know, especially with downs and green leaving, there may be a void. They got transfers coming in, but hey, there may be a void for him to say, like, hey, let's up it a little bit. You know, let's take it up a notch. Right. So. And then on the other side, another very productive player, Cedric Gray, at linebacker, you know, is one that I'm looking forward to seeing. I think next year's linebacker class in particular, you know, it's it, it looks pretty wide open right now. I think it's going to be deeper than this year's class, but still very unsettled. And there's guys that could rise up the board if they have the uh, another similar year. So I I need to get into his tape a little bit more. But I remember his size profile, his production profile really standing out to me. So I'm, I'm excited to see. And I wanted to see Tony Grimes again, man. I was I was big on him this cycle. He ended up transferring to Texas A&M. But I was big on his potential. I think former five star, if I remember correctly, a guy yes. who's very talented. I mean, he glides athletically, but then he's, you know, he shows high level coordination and ball tracking ability when he's a playmaker, when he has to, you know, make a play with the ball in the air. So, uh, and then Storm Duck as well. I know he transferred. I, I think he just entered the transfer portal again from Penn he State. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, yeah, there's talent, right? There's there's talent all across the board. And I'm sure, you know, every season brings new surprises, new guys who kind of break out without you knowing. So, you know, that's the fun part, that that consistent, that, you know, routine discovery aspect of it. And I'm excited to see what North Carolina has to offer.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, man. And I'm telling you, you know, again, you you could take it for what you're the expert. I think Devantez Walker is a guy you got to keep an eye on. I, I loved what I saw from him in the spring game. Basically, they think he'll be a, a faster. A more aggressive version of what we saw from Antoine Green this year in terms of taking the top off of the defense, and I think he could be. I gotta write that name down. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, uh, hey, yeah, uh, but uh, hey, we we appreciate you taking out some time, Ian. I know uh, it is busy, busy this time of year, but uh, really appreciate you stopping by with us, man. Uh, Make sure you guys head over check out his content on Pro Football Network. Dot com. You can also follow Ian on Twitter at IC underscore draft. Uh, but, uh, yeah, buddy, I, I, seriously, you have done a tremendous job. I've been keeping up with all the stuff that you have been, uh, you know, sending out here, getting everyone prepared for the draft. And, uh, I think, you know, you, you've done about as good of a job as anybody that I have seen in recent years of covering this draft. So thanks so much for, for doing that this year. And, uh, we really appreciate you taking out some time to talk to us, uh, on the, you know, as well.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's the work, man. It's the grind. It's what we sign up for, but, you know, being thorough is what you have to do to get as many answers as you can about these prospects. And Hey, the next cycle will bring plenty more excitement. So anytime you want to have me on again, you know, in the preseason next year, to talk about Drake, Drake may what North Carolina has to offer, hit me up. I'm always down.
0: All right. I will definitely take you up on that offer. Uh, Appreciate you again, buddy. And uh, enjoy the draft.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: So we want to thank Ian Cummings for stopping by with us. Uh, Tremendous job. He has done all draft season getting everybody ready for the NFL draft and really appreciate him taking some time out of there uh, to talk to us about the guys that are hoping to hear their names called. Uh, during the draft, they do, Carolina does have, of course, Noah Taylor as well as Ray Vosick, who are also trying to make it uh, to the NFL level, but both of those guys more than likely looking at undrafted situations. So now let's turn to the recruiting side of things. So we've touched on the current Tar Heels or former guys. Uh, that have moved on in the transfer portal. We've touched on the former guys that are trying to get to the next level. Well, now let's talk about the next wave of guys and one guy that joined that group, the 2024 class, just la- uh, just the other day in Peter Pasansky, the three-star defensive lineman from the state of Florida, a Jesuit high school in Tampa, Florida, to be specific. And he chooses Carolina over his other finalists, Uh, Oklahoma this is a big get for Carolina at least you know in terms of who they had to beat out and and in terms of really what this class has been to this point Um, he is the third highest rated prospect in this class despite being ranked number 557 overall in the 24-7 sports composite rankings Uh, but this is this is a good pickup for the Tar Heels along the defensive line first of all really good size as of right now um, you know I think it he, he's a guy that can add to his frame a little bit if Carolina decides that they want to use him inside but that's the thing he provides some flexibility. he's a guy that could probably play the power end spot for you but he could also kick inside and play that interior defensive line spot that three technique uh, that you know we've seen a few guys uh, play you know I think he's he's sort of similar to what you're seeing this year. On the roster, as we talked about a little bit earlier with Javari Ritzy um, and and Tamari Fox. I think that may actually be the best comparison for him coming in at 6'3, 278 pounds. Um, You know, he's he's, the first thing that stuck out to me. uh, You know, he's a guy that just lives in the backfield. I mean, every year at the high school level, um, he was extremely impactful, had over 20 tackles for loss in all. Uh, three of his high school years so far. Wouldn't expect anything different this year unless uh, he does sustain an injury or something like that. Uh, extremely productive this past season. 37 tackles for loss, 17 sacks. Uh, was named you know, to the All-State team uh, as well as All-County. Uh, he's been a second-team All-State member uh, each of his first three years. And in his first year back in 2020 as a freshman, was named a Max Preps uh, freshman All-American, so this guy, you know, is someone that I think provides a lot of upside. I really like, you know, how he rushes the passer. Um, you know, I think he he does a great job of uh, using, you know, of uh, shedding blocks and uh, really using the uh, different pass rushing moves. Uh, very technical pass rusher. Not a guy that wins with a ton of physicality, but still not something that he is really foreign to. But you can tell that he is a guy that's been working on um, all the different types of technical moves. He does a good job of switching those up. And he's got some pretty good closing speed. When he does get out into a little bit of space chasing down the quarterback, he is able to close on him pretty quickly. And the other thing I like a lot is that if he realizes that he's not going to get to the quarterback for a sack, he has so many different ways that he can affect uh, the the throwing lanes for quarterbacks. Um, we've seen, you know, if you turn on his film, there's multiple highlights of him creating interceptions just off of his pressure. Uh, there's also plenty of highlights of him just knocking the ball down at the line of scrimmage. So there's a lot of different things that he can do up front. Uh, the area where you don't really see him a whole lot is in, you know, in run defense. That's the area where he's probably going to have to get a little bit better, especially if he's going to play on the interior of this unit. He doesn't have the quickest release off the line of scrimmage, although it's still pretty solid. Um, And I think ultimately the biggest challenge for him will be figuring out where he's going to play. The level of competition, not really a question at all. Jesuit plays in a really high level. I believe it's this year it's the 3M. Prior to that, it was the 6A uh, classification. They actually won a state title his sophomore year. So uh, this is a, a guy that... Uh, it was very helpful for Carolina on the defensive line, and it's one that doesn't quite go into the category of some of the guys that Carolina's landed recently in terms of his high school ranking, but maybe this is exactly what Carolina needs, a guy that can come in and develop. You wonder how much of an influence Ted uh, Monachino had on this pickup, a guy that's Aiding the staff as you know a, a volunteer this year, um, you know you wonder how much of an impact he had on this recruitment. Was this a guy that he sort of uh, was pushing for, uh, and if that is the case? I think Carolina fans should be extremely encouraged but uh, I like a lot of the things here it's gonna probably take them a little bit of time to be able to contribute at this next level uh, because you know we have the natural curve that a lot of guys have to go through on the offensive and defensive lines and then you talk about a guy that is a three star and he's a three star for some of those reasons that I told you but I still feel like with where Carolina is at recruiting wise right now where it feels like they are really just stacking up on these three stars and they're having trouble with those four stars, Uh, this is one of the guys that should be a little bit of a bright spot for Carolina right now in that 2024 class. And you can go uh, head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Check out the article that we got breaking down Pasansky, as well as a couple other guys that Carolina has landed recently. Jaden Patterson, Carolina landed him over the weekend. So you can go back and check that out, as well as some of the other guys that committed earlier in the class. That'll be under the football recruiting tab. And then uh, you can also... Check out uh, everything that we've got for you guys on what we talked about earlier. All of the portal entry articles. We do have the article up there uh, about Don Chapman removing himself from the portal. So you can check out. All of those on the website, and of course, uh, if we have anything else that happens on that front or news-wise around Tar Heel football, we will have you covered with that. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, it's been a little bit quiet here these last few days after Carolina landed Harrison Ingram, but uh, make sure you go back and read about the Stanford transfer and why that was such a huge addition for the Tar Heels in this, uh, in this transfer cycle and why it really puts them into contention in a lot of people's minds uh, to not only make the NCAA tournament but once again be competitive in the ACC after there were some questions about that with what they had done prior to landing him in the transfer portal. So all that stuff on the website at com. Meanwhile, the podcast, yes, we've changed host sites uh, from megaphone to Omni but you can still find us in all those same locations that you used to as well as now the omni uh, the Omni page as well but uh, whenever uh, you do find the podcast make sure that you are hitting that subscribe button so you don't miss any editions of either podcast the four corners podcast or this podcast uh, and again Apple pod uh, Apple podcast Google uh, Spotify all those great spots have the podcast. For you. Uh, so that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you listening to this edition of the heel tough blog podcast if you could make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast find out where you can rate review and subscribe to the podcast and go ahead and do that for us the rating and reviewing that helps us to move up some of those rankings and the subscribing that is for you so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up we look forward to you being a part of the heel tough blog podcast family moving forward and thank you once again for listening to this edition